Uh, Father, we come here to glorify your name, to uh, walk in love and in relationship with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ here, to be the church that you want to build. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit to open our ears and open my mouth to speak your words. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I've got it on good authority that I'm supposed to speak during the 9.30, maybe the 10.30, for three out of five Sundays this month. Maybe it's actually two. I don't know. It's three. So that's good. Uh, so I thought about doing something that's a little bit more consistent for the three weeks that I'm up here, the not consistent weeks, not that I know of. And so the title didn't fit on here. Uh, I've got, maybe I need a little repentance myself because I've got two people telling me that the title needs to be shorter. But I think it's in your bulletin. Actually, three people. I forgot. It almost didn't fit in the bulletin. Uh, that the title needs to be shorter. And so maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. But over the next few weeks that I'm up here during this month, I want to uh, speak mostly on repentance, conversion, the law of God, covenant, and how we bear fruit in community. And so how all those things relate. Uh, a lot of times when we, uh, as we get into talking about repentance, we think of individual, our individual actions, and how that applies to me, and what I need to repent of, and I can sit in my room and read my Bible alone, and I can, the Holy Spirit will bring things to me, and that's how it always works. I don't need nobody telling me nothing, and then I'll repent, and I don't have to tell anybody, and I'll commit that to God by myself, and then I'll, so I can come to church, and when you guys ask, how's it going, I can say it's going good. And so, I want to open up those topics in, uh, and just how we do that in community, and how that bears fruit in community, because we talk a lot about uh, or we should talk a lot about about how community in itself is a way of to mature people of discipleship. You do get discipled in the community just by a community way of lifestyle. And so the more we are individually and corporately seeking an actual biblical community lifestyle, the more we will be that community and we will all uh, be maturing in Christ. And so, uh, Karl Barth uh, was a, a theologian, I think back in the 70s, and he was pretty popular, um, but he uh, had a term which essentially that popularized the church must always be reformed, and we shortened that down over the 30 years after that to just be reformed and always reforming. And so we've turned that into a more individualistic idea of how I'm reformed and I always need to be reforming and I need to be reforming my doctrines and my practices and all that's true, but the church in itself must always be reformed. And so those are Latin phrases to go with that. Then I'm not going to try to, uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce this morning. And so um, me being part of the leadership team and in our community church, uh, and I get the opportunity to preach on the Lord's Day uh, and the people who, especially I think Josiah does a really good job of this, um, we're not just coming up here and talking about ideas that I think are very good ideas for the greater church world. Uh, we're looking for ways that our church can be reformed. We're looking at church at ways that our church has to be reformed. Or ways we can grow in. And so, 
I'm going to pull uh, one from the playbook of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. When he says, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. And so Paul says, even if you're doing it, he's not like, congratulations, pat on the back, good job, here's your star, and whatever. He says, do it more and more. Just keep going. He doesn't back down. He's not, okay, good job, uh, and be on your way. He's urging them to do it more and more. So even when we are reforming different um, lifestyles and doctrines and different things in our community lifestyle, even when we're doing good, there's going to be the push to keep going, do more, you're doing well, do better, <laughs> right? And so that's what we, I want to talk about in the next few weeks. <clears throat> and so we're going to start with repentance. And I just want to uh, relate to how repentance uh, is involved in a covenant body of a covenant church, and how we bear fruit in community. And so we're going to define repentance. And so repentance is uh, it's, it's going to be foundational. It's going to be foundational to all the other topics about growing and maturity uh, in a, within a community and how the community disciples one another. And so in the Gospels and in Acts, it's always repent and believe. It starts with repentance, and then it's believe. And so uh, repentance is a mental reversal. It's primarily intellectual. It's not emotional. It's primarily a mental resolve to change or to go in another direction. <clears throat> and so it's a resolve. And so we have our uh, monthly, it's a, where's Sam Chinpoon? Ah, uh, is it the last Monday of every month or is it the third Monday of every month? Or is it the fourth Monday? It's the fourth Monday. Fourth Monday of every month we have uh, our book group that's going over winning the war in your mind, which is just primarily on this topic of how do you gain control by the grace of God to make a mental resolve in the direction of biblical truth. And uh, I haven't been attending, but Noel and I have been reading it along with the chapters that the group is going in. And it's not super deep, but it, it continues to lay the foundation. I don't think he ever uses the terminology repent that I know, but it's the same idea, <coughs> excuse me, that you're making a mental resolve to change directions. You're putting your foot in the ground, you're drawing a line in the sand, and you're saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. And uh, what he does a really good job of relating it to is lies that we'll receive about, you know, our, our individuals like, I'm not, uh, I don't want to say I'm not good enough, because sometimes that's true. And <laughs> and whatever, but uh, about lies like, you know, about God's love, about God doesn't love me enough, or I'm too far gone, or, or whatever. Um, and so he kind of relates it in his book to that, but it's the same idea is that you're going to put your foot in the ground, and you're going to make a mental resolve to not believe lies. You're going to make a mental resolve to stop this sin. You're going to make a mental resolve to live more biblically. And so that's what repentance is. And so it's not primarily emotional. It's not because I had a guilty feeling and I felt sorry and then these guilt feelings came up and I want to change. 
That's not repentance. Repentance is when you say, no, I'm going to stop, I'm going to fight. Um, it's not because emotions are, are wavering. Emotions, you get tossed back and forth in waves of emotions. And repentance isn't that. Repentance is uh, when you count the cost. When Jesus is talking about counting the cost, you're making a resolve of how much it's going to cost, and you're going to finish it. Right? And so, also, repentance is initiated by and a gift from God. Acts eleven eighteen says, <clears throat> And they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, I think it's also Romans 2, 4 that says that repentance is a gift from God. Let's look at that one. Yeah, or do you not presume, Romans 2, 4, or do you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness is meant to lead you toward, that God's kindness is meant to lead you towards repentance. So repentance is a gift from God. It's initiated by God. He does that through his means of grace. He delivers that as you read the word. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and he leads you towards repentance. Uh, so we talk about the three tools or the three delivery systems or the three means of grace. What are they in the, in the order? His word, his, word, his, spirit, his spirit, and his church. And so I think a little bit more systematically, or I like, I'm not sure if this is always true, but I think if you're having regular devotions and, and, and Bible reading and, uh, and worship and you're communing and getting filled with the Holy Spirit and living in community... My logical thought is that if you get to the point, and this happens to everybody, so if you get to the point where God's been delivering grace through you through his word, and he's been delivering grace through his Holy Spirit, if you get to the point to the church where there's a rebuke or correction, which we all go through, that means that he probably tried to reach out to you through the word and his spirit, but now he's resolved to do it through his church. And so, <clears throat> so many times... The gift from God that leads us towards repentance is a rebuking word from another brother or sister, right? And so God works through his means of grace, but it's always by his grace, and he is doing that as a kindness as an, to individuals and as a community lifestyle that we want to live in because he loves us, because it's a gift, because you don't get to belief until you go through repentance. And so repentance is initiated by, and it is a gift from God. So repentance is an ongoing daily foundation for the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now this verse doesn't go against what I said about repentance is not emotional. But there is grief that leads towards us wanting to hate our sin uh, or, or whatever and lead us towards repentance. And so repentance is supposed to be a daily foundational resolve in the Christian life. And so we don't really make any progress forward if we're not repenting, if we're not continually repenting. So if we're not continually putting our foot in the, drawing the line in the sand and saying, you know, uh, I'm going to show up to the 930 on time this week. And if you're not continually resolving for that, then you're not going to make it if you're habitually late. Habitually late. Uh, so we got an 830 prayer meeting. 
I don't get, I don't get there that early. I don't, get, I don't think I, my alarm went off till 8.30. Uh, so I don't even have that, result, that mental resolve to get there because I um, haven't made that mental resolve. I haven't gotten there. And so, but it's a, it's a daily, ongoing foundation to the Christian life to live in that mental resolve to work towards um, um, the Christian lifestyle. I'm just going to label it the Christian lifestyle in, in godly character, in wisdom, in, in devotions, in living uh, in, in fellowship with one another, not having bitterness, whatever it is. And so it has, it's, an, it's a foundation. It's every day. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live. I'm going to grab a hold of the grace of God, and I'm going to walk forward. So it says repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And so that repentance is the one that brings forth fruit. Uh, so repentance must bring forth fruit and must cause a change in behavior. And so, uh, <clears throat> how do you pronounce the guy's name? Greg Groschnick? Groschel. Okay, there you go. I listen to his podcast occasionally, and he says it, and I don't listen to his name too much. Uh, just the content. And so he brings out in Winning the War on Your Mind about how this is, like when you change your thoughts, when you change your life, it'll change your lifestyle, it'll change your actions, but it all start, starts in the mind. It all starts with the mental resolve. And so you don't really bear fruit in any way without making, without repentance, without making a mental resolve to move forward. And that's why John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, 8 and 10, 8 through 10, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of these trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so repentance is supposed to bear fruit. And so one way, just in a pragmatic way, um, without putting any specific time limits on it, if you are continually saying you're repentive and you're trying and you're doing things, but there's no fruit, then you have to wonder, Did you? are you really repentive? And I don't want to put a time frame, well, I repented yesterday of this, and uh, you know, I was just thinking on the way over, I have certain mannerisms that I found out are offensive and rude. I found that out after... Noel and I got married, and uh, she told me about them. <laughs> and she reminds me about it. It's much less than it was a year ago, but it's still something I'm working on. And so uh, I've got a mental resolve to, and I'm trying to work forward in some of these things to change a, uh, a lifestyle where I've created these mannerisms that is offensive and they are rude. And so... I'm working on that for the last year. Uh, but, you know, so I don't want to put time limits on, on what it takes to bear fruit. That's, you kind of have to have some wisdom and understanding. Don't get down on yourself if you're working towards something like, uh, uh, you know, you're trying to change something that you've been involved in or a lifestyle that's been for 15, 20 years. It's not going to change overnight. But with repentance, you are going to bear fruit. When you grab a hold of that grace of God, he's going to lead you in that. But if there's never any fruit, there's never any, there was never any repentance. It was just guilty feelings and sorrow, or then there was blame shifting and excuse making or whatever. 
And so <clears throat> let's listen how uh, our Lord puts that in, in Luke 13. Or how he relates the, uh, at least the concept of repentance and bearing fruit. Uh, Luke 13, it's going to be 1 through 9. <clears throat> there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I like Jesus. I like to quote, uh, you know, sometimes we think about like the Puritan preachers who are like, repent or perish. Well, actually, that was just Jesus. Um, <laughs> and then he goes into this next parable, and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. <clears throat> and he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And so he gives that parable of the fig tree. You can see the patience and kindness of our Lord who's saying, it's been three years, this is worthless, just cut it down. He's like, well, hold on a minute. Let's dig around it, let's put some manure, let's fertilize it, let's see what happens. But if after that, then it's going to get cut down because it's fruitless. And so, <clears throat> so I don't want to put a time limit on what it takes to bear fruit, uh, Noel can tell you more about horticulture, and I love talking about our fruit trees that we don't get to eat because of the squirrels. But uh, I do know, uh, like a coffee plant, it takes five years of cultivating, planting, and growing to get finally get coffee fruit that produces the beans. And so that's a five-year investment to get fruit. And so... But if there's no, but the, the, what the scriptures are pointing out, what God's telling us is, is there's no foundational repentance, there never will be any fruit. You could look for it for a millennia and you'll never find any without repentance. And so we want to start looking and seeing how these things are intertwined into a covenant community and how we bear fruit with one another. <clears throat> so, Repentance. You guys got it? Go and do it. See you next week. Whatever. No. Uh, and so we're supposed to live in a community lifestyle, in a body of Christ, where we're living with one another, working with one another, we fellowship with one another, um, and, and we're supposed to encourage, exhort, admonish, and confront one another to live Christian lives. It's not enough just to see everyone on Sunday, and we've got brothers who live in single brothers' houses and singles, or women who live in single women houses, and 
And that makes it a lot easier, and it makes it a lot easier for married couples and people in the same households. But we're supposed to live as a body of Christ, fellowshipping with one another, where we exhort, confront, admonish, um, and encourage one another quite often. Hebrews 3.13. I'm sorry, we'll start at 12. Take care, brothers, lest any be, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, he doesn't say, uh, but church leaders and some of these other people and some very specific people exhort one another. He says, just exhort one another. Just all of you, exhort one another. Encourage one another. Uh, confront one another if you see sin. Can, you know, you're supposed to be living in a lifestyle where you know each other deeply. And you can't exhort one another when it says that the... the, the deceitfulness of sin takes hold of people. You actually can't exhort people on anything meaningful in someone else's life unless you know what's going on, right? I can't just go, John Luke, I exhort you, don't steal and don't lie and don't cheat. And if any of those apply, take them and run. Uh, You know, that doesn't, you have to, we have to fellowship with one another in such a way that we can actually have meaningful exhortations. And so you can't just leave it up to the elders, the deacons, the leadership team, or just somebody else. We're all supposed to be doing that. We're all supposed to be exhorting one another, encouraging, admonishing, confronting. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And so what does it say? This is Galatians 6. Now, it comes right after Galatians 5. You guys following me so far? Okay, everybody knows Galatians 5. What's the prominent theme in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so keep that in mind. When it says, you who are spiritual. And so it doesn't mean those who are mystical and those who are always praying. And, you know, there's, uh, that's certainly true. And those people who are just like floating around an inch off the ground because they're too holy to even touch the ground. Those aren't the spiritual people. When he says, you who are spiritual, he's talking about the people or the, the type of person he described in Galatians 5, who cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, who walk by the, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, right? who don't, in opposition to those who are gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so, <coughs> excuse me, when it says, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him doesn't say that you should take that to somebody else so you don't have to, right? 
It says just you who are spiritual, you who walk by the Spirit, you who are led by the Spirit, you who uh, have a, are constantly day by day being led by the Spirit and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. And so that doesn't mean uh, uh, that that's only a certain group of people or that's only um, you know, the leadership or elders or anything. It just says the people who are led by the Spirit. What do you do when someone on the leadership says, well, you who are spiritual, restore them. <laughs> uh, what do you do? Uh, and so, but it says with spirit, to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And so we have to be a type of community living in the body of Christ who uh, isn't quick to jump in and confront all the time. Sometimes that's necessary, right? So what, how it happens in real life is, uh, and is with a spirit of gentleness, you usually have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, so what I saw or what I'm observing or what I'm thinking about this person, is it true? Right? And so you take a step back, you observe, you pray about it, you think about it. You know, if the Lord's showing you something or the Lord's uh, using you or wants to use you in fellowship with, with someone else uh, in any uh, uh, admonishing or correcting sense, you usually have a, a little bit better relationship with them anyways. Is that usually true? And so um, there are some people I wouldn't correct just because uh, number one, I usually just, it's not that big of an issue, and, <clears throat> and I don't have their ear. And so, but the first thing after that is, can I do it in a spirit of gentleness? Can I relate to this person? Uh, now, when I talked about the mannerism I had, been working on for a year that's rude, I thought I was being gentle, I thought I was being nice. And so, it turns out I wasn't, and so it's not whether... I think I'm being gentle. It's whether I really am being gentle. It's can I come to, um, if I have to confront somebody, if I have to admonish them in a direction or encourage them, can I actually do it in a spirit of gentleness? Can I actually sit down with a person and hear them out and say, you know, uh, uh, you've been showing up to church late for 10 weeks uh, I just want to encourage you that you need to repent, and 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 maybe that's true, but uh, maybe they need help with the kids. Maybe something else is going on. Uh, can you hear that person out in a spirit of gentleness to see what the problem is, right? Instead of coming with a the opposite of a gentle spirit, or coming into a spirit of with a spirit of gentleness, is a spirit of accusation, a spirit of correction, uh, a spirit of uh, pride looking down on the person, right? And so we're called to do that as a community. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the uh, wounds of a friend. <clears throat> and so what we want is true community is, uh, this isn't super insightful, true community is a lot deeper than surface level, Amen. Right? And you just don't get there by waltzing around, just coming to church on Sunday, never living in fellowship, never getting corrected, never correcting others, never uh, 
uh, fellowshipping in such a way that it goes deeper than the surface. And so <clears throat> uh, what happens a lot, I don't know if this is, this has probably happened to just about everybody. Um, what happens a lot is when we start living this lifestyle, it doesn't go the way we want it to go, even if you're on the right. Uh, I just had a situation with someone where I corrected them, and I didn't think it was going to go towards repentance, but uh, I was admonishing them and encouraging them in a certain way, and uh, I would have liked to have more hope, but I just didn't. <clears throat> and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. The relationship wasn't restored, and it actually got worse. But I pray that it, it would be restored. Uh, and I thought I came with a spirit of gentleness, but we'll see. And so what happens often is sometimes it just doesn't go how you planned. And sometimes that's on you, and sometimes that's on them. But what does Christ say about how all men will know that we're his disciples? Is that we have love for one another. And so when we talk about in our church, in our community of people, is it's easy to get sectarian in our church of 60, 70 people. Uh, we got our little group over here, we got a little group over here, we got a little group over here. Uh, about. Oh, right, yeah. That's a good example of I follow the nerds table or I follow the, uh, the single brothers table or I follow, the, you know, there's different groups or whatever. <clears throat> and so, but we're called, but the unity and the love we have for one another is what it, is our shining light and example to unbelievers outside of the church. And so when there's disagreements or arguments or things that need confronted, what's even more important is that there's going to be unity at the end. Can you come to the table with a spirit of gentleness that says, uh, you might even have to verbalize this, that says, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. Can I talk to you about that? And explain what it is and, and explain that I want to make sure that we leave on good terms, even if we disagree, even I want to hear you out, but I want to hear, I want you to hear me out and I'm going to come to you with Bible verses and scriptural explanation and can we reason by the word of God and can we by the end commit to unity? Because if you can't do that, then there's almost no hope in, in the first place. And that's if, if one side verbalizes that, then uh, what's the hope of going forward? If you come to someone and says, can we do this and can we stay unified? And they say no, then <laughs> what's the point of going forward? Right, <clears throat> And so when Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, you can't get to the friendship, the real deep friendship level, without wounding one another. And oftentimes you've heard we call it the shootout principle of you shoot, I shoot, we shoot. We don't just keep rapid firing back and forth, right? It's you'll shoot me, I'll shoot you. You heal my wounds, I'll heal yours. And that's the agreement we have in a covenant community. And so that's the way I'm encouraging, and I want, I want us all to live. I want us all to be on that same level. And so that happens a lot easier when you look at households and like the single brothers' households and the single sisters' households and, <clears throat> and married couples and families. Um, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. 
We have to be a community that is discipling each other. And it's just whoever's, uh, I don't want to make it sound mystical when I say whoever's led by the Spirit, like the Spirit just comes in and, and falls on one person, and that person's the ringleader for this week, and the Spirit falls on the next person, and that person's the ringleader. That's not what I'm talking about. So don't get, don't get that idea. It's, the, it's those people who have laid the groundwork of repentance to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to walk by the Spirit, uh, especially to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit. And so I have a high expectation of everybody. I have a high expectation of everybody that comes to our church. Paul says that uh, in, in Corinthians, I think two, might be three, that uh, he is working by the power of God to bring everybody to maturity. And so I expect a lot out of everybody. I expect everybody who comes to the 9.30 and the 10.30 to listen. <laughs> I know that's like a really high expectation, right? Wow. Uh, I expect everybody to take the Lord's Day seriously, to prepare the night before. I expect everybody to show up on time. I expect everybody to pay attention. I expect everybody to be actively listening, taking notes, and be thinking about the the word of the Lord that's, you know, as long as it's scriptural, that comes from the pulpit to think about how you implement that into our community. And so, um, and I expect you to do it with a good attitude. <laughs> that's sometimes the hardest part, uh, right? <clears throat> I expect you to fellowship with others in the church. Uh, and that is to, when we say fellowship, uh, the word literally means to partner with one another. Um, this is kind of a, a side note. And, um, uh, but, you know, one of the things that as Noel and I were, you know, a little bit over a year ago leading towards marriage is like we kind of described what we really love about one another. And both of us, we love companionship. And the companionship really means, it literally means the etymology is to break bread with one another. And so we love cooking together. Uh, we love eating together. Uh, and that's what we love to do. That's like, the, that takes up a good portion of our time together, is cooking and eating. And, um, you know, we have a weekly, a weekly date night of how we can stay in fellowship with one another. And, um, and, you know, and so largely that's just us cooking and eating as our, as our date night. And maybe I'm not eating the right things because I'm not getting any bigger. But, <clears throat> but, but when we're talking about Grace Christian Fellowship, it's in our name. It's not, just a, it's not just a buzzword. When we're fellowshipping with one another, we're partnering with one another. And we could all have, like, um, you know, ideas about what that means. But that means we're partnering in biblical accountability, biblical truth, you know, Ephesians 4.11 talks about that. The apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, evangelists are given to the saints for the work of ministry to bring everyone to mature manhood. And so that's not primarily going the ministry going out. That's primarily and foundationally the ministry within. And so we're supposed to be ministering to one another. We're supposed to be exhorting, encouraging, admonishing, correcting one another and we're supposed to be doing it in a spirit of gentleness and we're supposed to be receiving it in a in a spirit of of gentleness and a spirit of of you know not putting up up walls 
Um, I've had, you know, people, and it's fine, uh, I welcome it, uh, that talk to me about, you know, my speaking style and different things I say from the pulpit, and uh, there's been quite a few things that said, don't say that from the pulpit. I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. Uh, uh, certain, well, I can't say it from the pulpit. Anyways, <laughs> I repent. Uh, but, uh, you know, what happens to all of us is instantly we put up walls. We, we want to block it, right? It's hard. You know, when it says faithful are wounds of a friend, when someone's trying to stab you, if you know anything about preserving your life or self-defense, you want to block it or push it away. That's our natural inclination. And that's just the inner man. When, when we're being confronted, when someone's trying to exhort us and they really are coming in a spirit of gentleness and trying to lead us uh, in, into a deeper relationship with Christ and in unity with one another, our natural inclinations, a lot of time, is still going to be to block it and to defer it and say that's not true or just put up a guard. But I would encourage everybody, uh, just as, this, as we kind of work towards this in a community, to, uh, uh, well, here's an example for me. Um, a lot of times that happens, and I put up a guard, and I say something that's very harsh or uh, sarcastic or, or confrontational back, but then it takes me a couple minutes to go, okay, yeah, I'll actually listen to that, and, and I'll try to understand what you're saying, and I'll examine that. And maybe a couple more minutes or a couple more days, I'll apologize and repent and talk to the person. Uh, that's just how it goes. Our, our inner man wants to put up defenses. Our inner man wants to block it. Our inner man does not want fellowship or unity with one another. But our spiritual man through Jesus Christ does. And so uh, that is our expectation as a community, that's our expectation as uh, fellowshipping with one another. I expect, I have these high expectations um, of everybody, of living in unity, confronting one another, admonishing one another, receiving it. You know, it's not gonna, it shouldn't be just one-sided all the time. It should be admonishing, encouraging, exhorting, confronting one another. And we'll never actually get deeper fellowship you know, unless that happens. We'll never um, be able to be an effective church that ministers to one another unless that happens. And that's going to take practice. That takes real uh, guts to go to somebody and confront them or encourage them about something that, that you know that they need help with. And so it would do you well to take time to pray about it, to think about it. What are you going to say? Um, and are you going to do it at the right time? There's, you know, there's certain times in my life where um, I've had the opportunity to encourage somebody or admonish, admonish somebody in a certain direction, but I knew it wasn't the right time. I saw something or you know, something seemed to be going on or a person going in a certain direction, and you know, it just wasn't the right time. You, you know, so it's not always that you see something and have to jump on the gun real quick. That's not what I'm advocating for. Then we'll all be uh, sorely hurt and wounded really quick. Um, but you should take time to think about it, pray about it, and even ask the Lord, is this something that I need to confront the person about? Is this something 
that is going to help them? Can I do it in a spirit of gentleness? Can I, uh, uh, can I bring it to them at the right time? You know, and, and as Matthew 18 says, if you know, a brother's caught in a transgression or sins against you, you talk to them privately first. And so you normally, if it's, you know, uh, a big sin or something, you don't uh, go to the fellowship hall and raise your hand and say, can I get your attention, please? I got to talk to this guy about his sins. Uh, no, it's a, it's a private affair. It's a private matter. And so, <clears throat> and that's what leads, uh, you know, in having the foundation of repentance is that's often what leads us to repentance is our church community or other brothers and sisters who are admonishing, confronting, and correcting us in that direction. It gives us an opportunity to repent. It gives us an opportunity to bear fruit. It, 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 uh, it's the grace of God to, to go that way. And the more we do that as a community, the more we do that with one another, start in your households and your marriages and your families and work on the on the broader circles, but the more you do that, the more the fellowship will get deeper, the more that us as a church community, as a body of Christ, will actually be effective in discipling one another. And so the next week I speak, which might be in two weeks, I don't remember, Uh, then I'll have a block after that, we'll talk about uh, conversion and the law of God and how that works in covenant Uh, in a covenant community, and how we bear fruit together. So let's close in prayer. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, pour out your spirit on us this morning in worship, that you'd pour out your spirit on us, that we would, uh, as you give us your spirit, we would be led by the spirit, we would walk in the spirit, we would live by the spirit. That would be the the community that you've called us to be. Give us this, this grace, Lord Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit. Amen.